0: I want to tell you a story that I, I don't know if I've told you before, I don't know if I've shared it. Uh, as you get, as, when you're a young pastor, you share a lot of stories about yourself because it's kind of all you know. <laughs> uh, the only person you really know in your 20s and 30s or the person you think you know <laughs> is you. Uh, as you get older, you your life experience is enhanced by so many other people that you tend to want to tell their stories because their story impacted you in some Way or fashion, but this morning I want to just break a little bit from what I'm trying to do with uh, a little bit of a story that I don't know if I've told before. But as I was approaching my 25th birthday, I uh, I was serving for the first time uh, full time in ministry at a small little church uh, near just a little few miles north of downtown Seattle and it was it was a it was easy church but a rough area and i remember the pastor that i had served under he had called me into his office one day and he said are you friends with the young lady in our church named tanya and i said well yeah we're friends i mean we're serving the youth ministry together and she's on the worship team sometimes uh, you know that's about it that's about the limit of my exposure to her but i said you know he said, well, he said, something's been bothering me. She runs after church every Sunday. I see, she see her change in the youth room, and she comes out. She runs. She goes down to Green Lake and runs. And it's, it wasn't the safest part of town. So she said, if you're friends with her, it would just make me feel better if you would go and run with her. I, I often wondered, like, do you, do, you, do you look at me and say, boy, that Roy needs to run? Or, you know, what? what was his motive? In fact... I will say after this message today, I may call him. He lives in, in Ontario right now, so I may call him and say, what was behind that because he was he was pretty direct at his request, maybe he was playing matchmaker I'm not sure, but um and so he asked me that, and I you know and so I, I began to think about it. I mean, I could have chickened out and skipped the awkward you know, do you want a running partner request and she's like, yeah yeah, yeah, you're looking for more than running right you know so I could have skipped all that but i thought i'll ask she could say no and it wasn't like i was asking her out on a date and i can say this with all truthfulness that was not on my mind when i said tanya do you want to have a running partner and so uh she said sure why not i lived at church i lived in a house at church so it was real easy for me to run and change out of my sunday best and and get my uh, get my running clothes on and she was training at the time for a half marathon now the most running i had ever done in my life was football conditioning in august all right maybe at the most two or three miles a half marathon is what 11 12 20 miles i don't know 13 13 miles so so she she would run and run forever so so I'm down there, and, and, and we're running and running and running, and we're reaching about the third mile, which football condition that is about where I stop. And I realized, man, she's just going to go forever. She's like the Energizer bunny. She's not stopping, she's not slowing, she's got her pace. So I did what all honorable men would do I faked an injury. <laughs> oh 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 man oh can we stop over here for a moment you know i think i did i honestly i faked an injury because i couldn't go another mile and uh so we stopped you know and and um and we were just talking and and i remember you know i said something funny and and she normally never laughed at me she normally never really paid attention to me but This particular thing must have been really funny. I forgot what I said. I should have remembered it. I I should have wrote it down. I I forgot what I said. But I remember I said something funny. And the two of us, we looked at each other and laughed and smiled at the same time. Now, I think had we laughed and smiled a nanosecond apart, she wouldn't be here with me today. But it was something about we laughed and smiled at the same time. And when we did, we looked at each other laughing and smiling and something pinged in my heart just that whoa you all know what i'm talking about right whoa and i remember going home that night my roommate's like you're quiet and i'm like just thinking you know and he's like let's watch a movie so he puts the movie on but i'm staring off at the wall so he gets up gets in front of me he's like Where are you? And I looked at him and I said, I think I just met my wife. He goes, who? I said, Tanya. He goes, oh man, the whole church has been waiting for that to happen. (laughs) So, (laughs) 20 years ago, 20 years last April, uh, Tanya chose to become my wife, and I chose to become her husband. Four years later, we chose to become parents. It reminds me, so powerful are our choices in life. We make our choices, and then they turn around and make us. Amen? You know what I'm saying? We make our choices, and then they turn around and make us. And it is my wife who made me what I believe the greatest person I believe a man can be. And that is a father. And I honor all of the fathers. And I don't mean just actual fathers. We have fathers in the church that have no children. But they're fathers. And I want to honor them today. Declare that we have one of the highest calls in the world. And we won't do it perfect. But our children will recognize more the long haul of faithfulness to be a dad over any perfections or imperfections we may exhibit. As my kids constantly remind me, Dad, we know you're human. And so it's something you choose when you'd rather watch the game, something you choose when you'd rather sleep in, when you'd rather hit around, or let's be honest when you'd rather go out to breakfast than go to church. It's something you choose. And the Bible makes it very clear that life is about choices. I want to put some scriptures up on the screen And have you see how the Bible talks about choices. The first one we come is Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. He says this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. That I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. God's not going to do it for you. Choose life. So that you and your children Notice he said, you and your children, when we choose life, that choice gets blessed down to our kids so that you and your children may live. Joshua's last words were very simple in Joshua 24, 15. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, those were the moon gods of Abraham, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've said that, declared that to my kids or even to sometimes to guests in my home. This is a home that serves the Lord. There are things we have here there are things we do not have here amen another one is elijah in first kings 18 21 he says how long will you waver between two opinions if the lord is god then follow him if baal is god then follow him it's a choice but perhaps the most powerful one is what jesus christ himself says in matthew chapter 7 when he says enter by the narrow gate For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus calls our choices our way. And he says one way which is a collection of choices, is wide and easy and many will take this road. But it is, the de- it is the destruction road. He says the other way is narrow and hard and few will take it. But it is the way to life. So Jesus is saying, make sure you choose the right road in the right way. We've been talking about that obscure Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. I know it sounds like you're sneezing when you say his name. But Habakkuk was waiting, and he had made a choice to wait on God for an answer to all of the injustices going around him in the world. Now, the interesting thing was, I can't promise you that when you ask God for an answer, That every time an answer will come some trials that you go through they have to be filed away in your life to be answered later possibly on the other side of heaven because there may not be a clear answer that comes in this lifetime but that is not to say there aren't some questions that God won't most definitely answer in the here and now when God answered Habakkuk he essentially told Habakkuk three things and I want to show you these three things because they're very, very important. Whenever you're going through a trial, whenever you're going through dryness, whenever you are being challenged spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in any way, here is three things that God wants us to do as a gut reaction to that. The first thing, remember who I am. Sometimes when I'm struggling, i got to go back and I say, you know what, wait a minute, God is good. God is love. God is forgiving. God is my creator. God is my father i'm his son i'm in god's family remember who god is that's one of the things habakkuk did he said god you're everlasting god you're pure god you're holy he's reminding himself and remembering this is who god is because the trial is trying to get you to forget who God is the trial is trying to get you to see that God is not those things that God can't be trusted that God isn't real that there is no God and there is no hope and there is nobody out there to help you or to save you that's what the trial is trying to teach you and trying to put you put you in that place whereas God's saying when these things come remember because that temptation to forget me is going to be there remember who I am second thing Write down what you hear me say. Write down what you hear me say. Sometimes when I'll have a pastoral meeting and we're praying and I feel like the Lord is speaking a word to someone, I'll say, you got a pen and paper? Or I'll get one. Write it down, whether it's the scripture. Sometimes I'll text it now. Now I text it more than anything else. Say, keep this. Remember this. And when you're getting discouraged, come back to it. And then the third thing, wait and stay faithful. Remember who God is, write down his promises, and then wait and stay faithful. Habakkuk had done those three things, and so God honored and answered Habakkuk. The armies of Babylon are at the gates of Jerusalem, and Habakkuk is scratching his head going, how can you use people who are far worse than us to judge us, God? And, and God gives Habakkuk an answer. And he essentially says, don't worry Habakkuk, I see all things and Babylon is going down. In fact, the Bible describes this in an earlier book in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel chapter 5, the fall of Babylon in its entirety is described. And essentially, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, he gives a grand banquet. And this banquet essentially turns into more of a drunken orgy of sorts. And while they're reveling in all their pleasure, they see a hand, just a hand. So imagine just a hand. And it's writing on the wall. And the hand so powerful, it's actually scraping into the concrete or the plaster. And it writes something. Belshazzar freaks out. So he gets Daniel because he knows Daniel can interpret the writing. And he says, Daniel, what does it say? And Daniel says to King Belshazzar that Babylon has been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And from that night, the kingdom would be taken from Babylon and divided between the Medes and the Persians. God is essentially essentially saying to Habakkuk, Babylon may look invincible now, but by the turn of the next century, they will not even exist. And barely remembered. The wheels of God's justice may grind slowly, but tomorrow eventually comes. And then God God goes on to tell Habakkuk, hey, I've got five reasons. Let me let me tell you the five criteria as to why Babylon. A lot of times we just want to know enemies are going down. We don't need to know why. We probably already know why. That's because they're whatever, you know. But God actually breaks it down. So that he can leave for us sort of a blueprint as to how God deals with people who are eventually going to be under the grinding of his justice. And the first reason he gives is this. And, and this is where we'll pick it up in our story in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 7. Reason number one, they steal. God confronts theft of any kind. Don't steal. If you steal, God's against that theft. All right? Uh, so God, he says in verse seven, "Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, and for how long, who loads himself up with pledges? Those are loans. Will will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. What is he saying?" Babylon, because you stole and took what wasn't yours, eventually all the people are going to come back and not only take what they have back, they're going to take even more, and I'm going to bless it. Reason number two, they're arrogant. God opposes pride and arrogance, even in any man or woman. God opposes pride and arrogance. Look at Habakkuk 2.9. It says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. In Babylon, the walls of Babylon were the largest walls in the ancient world. They were about 96 feet high. So they were huge, huge walls. And the boast of Babylon is we dare any army, anybody, To come and try to breach these walls. That was their boast. And what God is saying is there's an arrogance in that because I can flick those walls down with my finger or I can cause a little rumbly tumbly and those walls are going down. So God opposes our pride. The third reason, they wound people. They wound people. I mean, literally, they stick swords, they beat them with axes. When, you, when the Babylon army came through a city, if you were to walk through that city, you know what we'd see a lot of? Dead people, of course, but also a lot of bleeding people. A lot of people who would be psychologically scarred for the rest of their lives. A lot of people who would suffer from the horrors of abuse that we're just now beginning to understand in modern psychiatry. And you know why God has a problem with that? Because me and you are made in His image. And he doesn't want his image destroying and hurting and wounding another person in his image unless God says, I want you to do it. So God is essentially saying to Babylon, I'm allowing you to do this, but I'm not blessing your doing this. And all these this trail of blood that Babylon leaves behind, God's saying, You know what? That was my image you're destroying. Be careful. Because I'll tell you, I got a little fighter guy in me. There's sometimes I have this movie in my head of what I want to do to some people, especially when they flip me off on the road, you know. I just kind of pull over. Ah, yes. You know, and just see blood. I'll admit it. When I was a kid and I got in fights, I loved the taste of my own blood. You know, it was, it was fun. It was There was something about it. And yet, as I've grown older now, I used to love MMA, watching it on TV. I can't even do that anymore because I'm getting very sensitive to the fact that we humans are made in the image of God. And God doesn't want us, and I'm not trying to heap guilt on anybody if, if you do enjoy some of that stuff, but for me, I'm getting very sensitive to seeing one person without justification just for sport or for fun destroying on another person when they are made in the image of god and i broke up a fight in my neighborhood i don't know maybe one kid deserved it if i had to pull over stop stop it get out go home you know i couldn't stand to see it happen uh you know because it's that same principle we are created in the image of god not created to wound each other but created to represent his glory amen um Reason number four, they were immoral. This scripture reads like a headline out of Las Vegas. Uh, Habakkuk two fifteen says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Can you believe that verse is in the Bible? You know? It speaks to like half the reason people go to bars, right? We're going to get a little soused, and then we're going to get naked. You know what I mean? So, I mean, th- this is like straight out of Las Vegas. In fact, when Bugsy Siegel was building Las Vegas, do you know what the first license he applied for? It wasn't gambling, and it wasn't prostitution. The very first license was liquor, alcohol, yeah. So, because he, he, like everybody knew, you need that in order to have successful gambling and prostitution. And so, uh, anyway, uh. uh God's saying that, you know, God's against the immorality of the culture. And then finally, the final reason is they worshiped other gods. God will defeat spiritual counterfeits to himself. In Habakkuk 2, 19 and 20, he says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! Or to a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? <laughs> I love it. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all but the Lord is in his holy temple and let all the earth keep silence before him. Three things I want you to remember from this. The first one is this. They'll be up here. God is patient in building a case for judgment. And thank God he is. Thank God that he is patient with us. He doesn't just backhand us at the first sign of trouble. God was very patient with Babylon, even though they are at their worst and cruelest. They had another 70 years to try to repent. They wouldn't. But God is patient. Even though the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, tomorrow eventually comes. Second thing, remember who God is. Write down what you feel him saying to you. And then wait, stand, don't quit. And then finally, number three, we make our choices. And then our choices make us. Every one of you here right now, there are some things you couldn't control, sure. But everything you could control, you made a choice. And right now, wherever we're at in life, we're the product of that choice. And so I ask you, what is your choice today? Because whatever you choose, that choice will make you. 20 years ago, I made a choice to marry my wife. 16 years ago, I made a choice to become a father. 28 years ago, I made a choice to give up my agnosticism and atheism and become a follower of Jesus. What can I tell you about those choices? Two words. No regrets. No regrets. I have choices I regret. I too am the product of my choices and not all of them have been good and some of them I have to bear the brunt of. But those three, surrendering to Jesus, marrying my wife and having my children. No regrets. No regrets. I'll close with a story. This isn't mine. Pastor Sterling Berry he talks about growing up under a stern father. And when he was little, he called his father Daddy. One day when he was about six or seven years old, his dad was talking to the neighbor, and he ran up to him and he grabbed his hand, and he said, Daddy, Daddy. And his father gave him a look. And Sterling Barry knew what the look was. Aren't you a little old to be calling me daddy? Are you still calling me daddy? Like, you know, you're just a little infant, little baby. Little babies call their daddies daddy. I am dad, I am pa, I am father, I am whatever else. But you're too big for daddy now. Sterling barely went inside the house. He said, I never called my father daddy again. Without saying a word. I was shamed into never using that word. Now let me tell you this. That father was wrong. That father was wrong. As I was preparing my message. I told my kids. I said. Because I still have one of them. That calls me daddy. I say you know what. You can call me daddy. For the rest of your life. I don't care if you're. 60 and i'm 80 you can call me daddy you can give me a hug and say i love you daddy you can keep calling me daddy for the rest of your life you know why because that is what god wants us to call him to make the choice to not just have god be god or father god is daddy in galatians chapter 4 verse 6 and it's our final verse paul says Bible says because you are his sons and daughters God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit that calls out Abba Abba both in Arabic Hebrew means daddy Jesus a 30 year old son of God Messiah And what does he call God? Daddy. And if we're to become like Jesus, then let us have that same view when we go before God. God's daddy. And he'll never shame you for calling him daddy. You can be 150 years old and he'll always be your daddy. Amen? Amen? This morning before we close, I'd like to just give a brief invitation. The invitation to once again make God your daddy. Not just God, but daddy. So if you would like to respond to this, then pray with me. If you're still thinking about it, then don't. Just listen. But for those of you who are like, you know what? Something needs to be said. I need to respond. Then say this. Repeat this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. Help me to choose the narrow gate that leads to life. And I make you my daddy, and I become your child in Jesus' name.